Now, we uh, are in our journey through John, and I mentioned last week that the Gospel of John is unique in that it is uh, the Gospel of Declaration, in that it's the gospel that records more declarations that Jesus made about himself than the other gospels. And we saw that thus, thus far in our journey through John, Jesus, in response to who is the Messiah, he said, I am he. He has said and declared, I am the bread of life. We read where he said, I am the light of the world. He told a group of religious leaders when they asked him who he was, he said, before Abraham was born, I am. And he used the, the phrase, I am, uh, to denote that he, that's the name that God gave Moses. And he used that name, a name that was not spoken by any Hebrew because it was considered so sacred. Yet Jesus used it to declare about himself. And then last week, we saw that uh, Jesus said, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. Now, these declarations aren't done in arrogance. Jesus didn't do these in arrogance, but more uh, to, uh, to, to help us, to bring clarity to our own hearts and to bring hope to our hearts because it identifies who he is. And today, we have come to yet another declaration that the Lord made regarding himself and who he is. So if you have your Bible, uh, we're going to read a very familiar passage of Scripture to many of us. It's, uh, we're looking at John chapter 11 this morning. I'm going to be reading the first 16 verses, and then we'll read a few more toward the end. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister, Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Everybody say two more days. Okay. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, but they will see uh, by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said uh, to the rest of the disciples, let us go also go that we may die with him. Now, verse 25, we'll jump ahead. Jesus said to her, 
I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will never uh, will, will, will live even though he died. Then we're going to go down to verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Everybody say four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus uh, looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. All right. So the declaration we are going to look at today and focus around uh, is found in verse 25 where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And before now we focus on that, uh, there are two... uh, Points that I just want to highlight this morning uh, to help us make the connection, if you will, uh, to this portion of Scripture. Because the, this declaration of the Lord is a wonderful, powerful declaration that we want to look at this morning. But let's see how we can identify uh, with this text. First, let's look at the life of Lazarus. Now, when we look at Lazarus' life, you remember that I've been saying over and over again as as we journey through John that when we read the Bible, we need to make sure that we understand it in its full context. And by that, I mean this. Oftentimes, we read the Bible and we look at it through the lens of the physical, what we actually are seeing. In this case, Lazarus being sick. But remember that the Bible is a spiritual book. And so what we have to do is to make the application is, what does this mean spiritually? Is there a spiritual significance to what I am reading? And the life of Lazarus and his sickness uh, has some symbolic meanings for us this morning. Because this miracle that Jesus did in raising Lazarus from the dead uh, represents things that are happening in all of our lives. Yes, Jesus has the power uh, to heal physically. That is wonderful. And that we're going to be praying for that at the end of this service. But more importantly and more symbolically, the Lord has power to heal all manner of spiritual issues that we have in our life, specifically sin. You see, see, because Lazarus' sickness is symbolic not only for physical sickness, but it's also symbolic for emotional sickness. It's, it's also symbolic about spiritual sickness, which the Bible classifies and declares as sin. So let's look at how Lazarus' life is impacted by his sickness. And in this case, I want to connect it to how our lives are impacted by the sickness that we call sin. All right. So now, here's the first thing that there, there's a sense of helplessness. 
right? Lazarus uh, could not overcome this illness. We know that because we know that he ultimately uh, died. In other words, he couldn't heal himself. And like Lazarus, we in and of ourselves are helpless when it comes to overcoming sin. There is no one in this room, there's no one watching us uh, uh, through uh, the internet, social media, however you are viewing us this morning. None of us has the power in and of ourselves to overcome sin. Would you say amen to that? Okay. Uh, We don't have the power, in other words, to say no to, to sin, and, and because the Bible calls sin incidentally a master, it controls our life. We don't control sin; sin ultimately controls us. The Bible says this. Listen, listen to see if you can identify with the Apostle Paul and how he felt in Romans chapter seven, verse eighteen. He said, "I I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't." I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Can you identify with that? There are times that we know that what we are about to do or what's in our mind to do, we know instinctively this is wrong before God. But somehow, we don't stop ourselves. Somehow, we can't stop ourselves. And even though we know it's wrong and we don't want to do wrong, we can't stop ourselves. And the Bible teaches us that all man, all wrongdoing is sin. When, when I discover my wife's stash of cookies, and she does stash them, she stashes candy bars. My wife is like a squirrel that harvests nothing and then stashes them for the winter. She just puts them all over the house and she hides them. And I think it's, Personally, I think it's an act of God that I find it. But the minute I do find it, there's a part of me that says, you know that doesn't belong to you, right? You know that belongs to your wife and you shouldn't eat it. See, I know that I shouldn't eat it, but I eat it anyway. (laughs) The good that I should do, I don't wind up doing. And the bad that I don't want to do, I wind up doing. And this was Paul's dilemma and his acknowledgement that something that we all struggle with, that there are times that there can be a, a habitual sin that can be controlling our life. And, and speaking about that, this, this thing that you see is this sickness in Lazarus was life-draining. It was slowly drained him of life. And sin especially habitual ones, slowly drain us of spiritual life. Ultimately, we find it brings us into the tomb. Lazarus wound up in the tomb. In other words, death. Now, again, what that means for us may not, I'm not talking about so much physical, but I'm talking about death as a result where we have no life and no hope of life. James puts it this way, uh, chapter 1, verse 14. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Again, not not a physical death so much as uh, 
a spiritual death. The more I engage in sinful behavior, especially habitual one, it, it, it begins to separate me from the presence of God, from the life of God. And when we are not engaged and actively connected to the presence of God, the life of God, then we have death. Because death, spiritual death, is simply separation from God. That's why the Bible teaches us we were all born spiritually dead. We were all born separated from God because of sin. And that's why Jesus Christ had to surrender his life on the cross of Calvary so that the sin factor could be dealt with and put away so that we can receive life from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Lazarus, to recap, has, has this sickness that symbolizes the impact of, that sin can have in our life. It also is symbolic for uh, the emotional sickness or mental sickness we can have and even the physical sickness. Now, we look at another group, and that's the group of Martha and Mary. Now, Martha and Mary, they sent a message to the Lord saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, that is symbolic for prayer. When we have a loved one that is sick for whatever, whether it's physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually, when we see that situation, we send a message to the Lord through in prayer saying, Lord, we, 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 this loved one is sick. In other words, we need you, God, to move on behalf of this person. Now, the interesting thing is the Lord's response because we find that Jesus heard this, and the first thing he did, he said, this sickness will not end in death. That's verse 4. But it was for the glory of God. Right? This sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God. Now, the, for, the, for the name of the Lord to be glorified, let's look at just that, what that means so that we're all on the same page. To glorify the name of the Lord means that the outcome of what would happen, uh, what would result, would bring praise and honor to the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, so now here's the thing that's important for all of us to know regarding prayer. When we lift up our hearts before God, listen, when we bring before God our petition uh, and say, God, we, our loved one is sick. We need you to move in a powerful way in this situation. When we bring our petitions before God, God always moves in a way that will glorify his name. In other words, God has a plan to glorify his name. Now, it's not a plan that will move the way we feel God wants to move, but it is a plan that will ultimately result in the name of Jesus Christ being lifted high in praise and glorified. Amen? Okay. Now, the disciples, along with Martha and Mary, didn't understand God's plans. Right? The disciples uh, uh, were there and they said, well, God, why are we going there to wake him up? Because if we're going to wake him up, if he's sleeping, you know, people who are sick, if they, get, if they sleep, they tend to get better. So why are we doing that? They're thinking physically. Uh, we didn't read it, but when Jesus arrived, uh, Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
Uh, and Jesus said, no, your brother's going to live. Yeah, I know at the resurrection. So she didn't understand God's plan. Mary didn't understand God's plan. Now, the reason why I'm stressing this is because, remember, God always answers our prayers. He responds to our prayers in a, a way that's going to glorify his name. And you and I are not always going to understand God's plan. Especially, especially God's timing. We don't understand why God does things. But it's important that we recognize that there is an appointed time to God's plan. Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Now, so that you can get a little bit of geographic information here, the home of Martha and Mary to where Jesus was, was a day's walk. So they sent this servant, that's one day. The Bible says Jesus stayed there two days. And then he decided to journey. So one day to get there, two days to stay, another day to go, that's how many days? Come on, help me out. How many days are we talking about? Four days. One day that took the servant to come, Lazarus is sick. Jesus stayed two days, that's three. Then he decided it's time to go. By the time he got there, four days had passed. How many days was Lazarus in the grave? Four days. Which means the day the message came, Lazarus had already died. Jesus knew that. But yet there was this delay because the plan of God has an appointed time for everything. We find that also in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 1, where God told Zechariah, Zechariah, I've heard your prayers, and your wife Elizabeth is going to have a child, even in your old age. And the Bible records in Luke chapter 1, verse 20, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their what? appointed time. Zachariah and Elizabeth were old uh, people. Uh, I can say that because I'm old. Uh, and and they, were, they were past the age of, of having children. And surely during the course of their lifetime, they had prayed and asked God to bless them with a child. But that, that answer to prayer had not been manifested as of yet and now here in their old age while he's in the temple and do, fulfilling his temple duties God sends an angel to him and, and announces to him your wife is going to have a son Zechariah said yeah right <laughs> we're too old to be doing that and, and then the angel said well Here's what's going to happen now you're not going to be able to speak anymore until your wife gives birth which will happen at the appointed time. God has an appointed time to respond to our prayer. Now, having said that, I need to just add one final thought, and that is with regard to prayer, that the Lord's delay doesn't mean he doesn't love us. The Lord's delay isn't a lack of love. It isn't due to a lack of love. Remember, the message was, Lord, the one you love is sick. 
And then the Bible goes on to say very clearly that Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. I say this because sometimes when the answers to our prayers are delayed, and I could use that word, because we, when we don't receive what we desire in the time that we think it should come, then for us, it's delayed. But remember, God has an appointed time for the manifestation of the answer to our prayer. And when we, our answer is delayed in our eyes, it isn't because God doesn't love us. Now, when we ourselves or someone that we love is sick, whether it's struggling with some sin, whether it's a physical, emotional, mental, whatever it is, some form of sickness as represented by Lazarus here. And it might even be to the place where you're already in the grave. Lazarus was dead four days when Jesus told him to roll the stone away. The sisters recalled, wait, 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 time out. They didn't embalm in those days. Uh, so they, they knew if we open up that, the, the rock, take away the rock that's sealing this tomb, there's going to be a horrific odor there. Uh, he's going to stink. And, and so they didn't want to obey Jesus. I want to tell you this morning that it does not matter if the stench of death is upon you or your loved one. We need to look at what the Lord declared. We need to believe this morning what the Lord declared. When he looked at, his, at this sister and said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone, even if they were dead, yet shall he live. Praise the name of the Lord. In other words, Jesus declaring, I am the resurrection and the life. He is declaring that I have the authority over all sickness, over all sin, over all death. I have the final say in everyone's life, regardless of their circumstance, regardless of their situation. In fact, there is no person and no situation that is ever without hope. Amen. See, this text in our Bible is, it offers us incredible hope because it teaches us that Jesus Christ is the resurrection, he is the life, and because he is the one who restores, the resurrection meaning I, I, I can restore back to life. I can bring anyone back into a relationship that's whole and, and great. I can do all those things because I am the resurrection and the life. This text offers us hope that it doesn't matter if we are sick in our body. It doesn't matter what the doctors say. It doesn't matter what we see with our eyes. It doesn't matter what we smell with our nose or use our senses. Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. There is hope for every single one who is sick in their body. There is hope for every single person who is experiencing emotional distress. There is hope for everyone who is battling with mental stress in this pandemic where people can't find jobs and people are wondering how are we going to make ends meet and there's a stench of death on our finances there's the stench of death on our home life listen Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life he that was dead yet shall he live that's why this declaration gives us hope today 
Because there is no situation that is ever beyond the reach of God's restorative power. But here's the issue. Here's the big question for us. When Jesus said this to Martha, he asked her a question. Do you believe this? Do you really believe this? Listen, this morning, this is the question that the Spirit of God is asking every single one of us. Every single one of those of you who are watching online, here's the big question for today. Because, see, we can easily claim with our mouth, Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. But then the question comes, well, do you believe this? And it's easy to say yes when there's no death. It's easy to say yes when there's no sickness. But what happens when that sickness is lingering and the doctors give you no hope? Then the question is relevant. Where Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe that? You see. What happens when the marriage has fallen apart? And it seems in the natural that there's no hope. If we're honest, there's the stench of death on your marriage. Then the question becomes, do you believe I'm the resurrection and the life? Do you believe I can bring life into your marriage? See, it goes back to the Old Testament, the same thing. Remember when the, Jesus brought the prophet to the valley of the dry bones? It, there was not one bone that was put upon another. It was just a valley full of dry bones, uh, no, none together. Everything was separated, all dry. And God asked the prophet, can these bones live? The prophet said, God, only you know. See, there are times where God brings us to the place of this question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe I can break that habit in your life? Listen, there was a point where many years ago, because of my drug addiction, I thought I would, I would never break that habit. And I went before God, and this is God's, I said, God, if you don't break this thing in my life, I'm going to die a drug addict. See, because I come to the end of myself, and I realize I can't break this thing. I don't have the power but God has the power. And God, in his mercy and grace, broke the power of that thing in my life. Do you believe this morning that he can break that habit that binds you? Do you believe this morning that Jesus Christ can resurrect a broken relationship? Whether it's a marriage, whether it's with family members, do you believe today? Worship team, if you will come and begin to help me, please. Do we believe that God can turn our life around. That's what the question is today. Don't give God excuses. Listen, she said, Lord, he's been dead four days. There's a stink. As if God didn't know that. You know, there are times we give God excuses or reasons why we, we don't believe, why it can't happen. But this text is before us today so that we might believe 
Stop looking at what your eyes see and look at who I am. Because I am the resurrection and the life. I believe as the Lord called Lazarus out of the tomb that day, I believe the Spirit of the Lord is calling people's names today, calling you out of that tomb and saying, I want you to experience new life. I want to break away that thing that has hindered you for so long. And it doesn't matter how long you've been dealing with it because today is the day that you can hear the name of the Lord calling you out. Would you stand with me?